We're going to be reading in Ephesians chapter 3, starting at verse 14, as we continue in our series called United, part 6 today. We're talking about amazing love. We just sang a couple of those songs. So as you find Ephesians chapter 3, I'm going to invite you to stand. I think I missed my chance to distribute Bibles. Let's just go ahead and move into the passage. Um, but if you don't have one, there's a couple of guys that are going to make them available to you, and you're going to be on page 732 of the Red Church Bible. I read from the New Living Translation. Ephesians chapter 3, starting at verse 14. Paul writes this, When I think of all this, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father, the Creator of everything in heaven and on earth. And I pray from, that from His glorious, unlimited resources, He will empower you with inner strength through His Spirit. Then Christ will make His home in your hearts as you trust in Him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep His love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Verse 20. Now, all glory to God, who is able through His mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to Him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations Forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Let's take a seat together. We thank the Lord for His Word. I want to ask you if you've ever witnessed something that, that overwhelmed you, that, that, you know, something that took your breath away, just left you speechless. Um, then it happened to me at the Grand Canyon uh, about five years ago. We visited there as a family. And I'm not really sure why, but there was something, I think I've got a picture of that, um, there was something, in fact, this is the first picture we took. We got to the rim and, and there was something about just the expanse and the, the beauty and the, just the magnificence of it that all we could do is say, wow, God, thank you. You're amazing. How did you do that? Now, there's a picture of me and my boys. Um, I would have shown a closer up picture, but they were just so little and cute then. And they would have been really mad at me if I'd done that. So it's just a far away picture of the three of us there on that thing. You're still going to be, I'm still in trouble, I'm pretty sure. That was a time when I was bigger than them both. And so now the opposite has, has happened. And so I've got to be really careful around my house. Uh, but it's this sense of awe and wonder when you, when you see something like that. But I wonder why that spontaneous awe seems to go missing often when we consider the work of God in Jesus Christ. How easy it is to just sing a song or just kind of go through the motions in a way. Why is it easier for me to be in awe of natural beauty, natural wonder, and miss the, just the mind-blowing truth of God's salvation for all people, regardless of background or heritage? Why is that? We sang a few songs about God's awesomeness back in the 80s. Our God is an awesome God, and, and uh, I stand, I stand in awe of you, but... I, I just fear we're not as moved by God's work as we could be, or even as we'd like to be. The Apostle Paul, on the other hand, and we saw it when we just read, he was, he was in knee-dropping awe of God. You see it there in verse, verse 14 where we start. He says, when I think of all this, I fall to my knees and I pray to the Father, the Creator of all things. He... Um, Paul had started, when he says, when I think of all this, he'd actually started this thought. We see it a couple of chapters back. If you go all the way back to chapter 2, 
and really verses 19, he's been explaining this coming together of the two groups, the Jews and the Gentiles. And he says, so now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners, but citizens. Verse 21, he says, you are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Just like it says, they're joined together in him. Ephesians 2, 21. So Paul is just pondering all this. He's looking at this and he's just astounded that God would take these these widely divided groups and that he would bring them together and that he would make salvation available to everyone. And um, and it's not by keeping the rules. It's not by being a good person. It's by faith alone in Christ Jesus. And that's what just seemed to blow Paul away. So I would ask a question, I'm going to ask a couple of questions this morning. One is this, am I, am I in awe of God's plan? Am I in awe of God's plan? See, when we, we, we invest in the things we care about, we spend money and we spend time on those things that matter to us. When we care about what God's up to, we'll invest in it. We'll look forward to it. We'll find joy in being generous. Um, you know, it's, it's easy to give your time and your treasure to God's work when you're in awe of Him and what He's been doing. And not only that, you'll find it easy, as Paul did, to approach God in prayer, falling to His knees. Because you'll, you, you know that God, it's actually God's desire. God actually wants to save. God actually wants to bless. God actually, He wants to meet with you. That's God's intent and His desire. And when you understand that, when you're in awe of that, it makes it easier for you to come to Him. So Paul, in awe of God's great plan, dropped to his knees in prayer for these Gentile believers. And so we're going to look at three, as he does that, we're going to look at three prayer requests that Paul lays out for them. This, this uh, kind of overwhelming sense that Paul has. So how about this? A good way to pray. We're looking at three of Paul's prayer requests in a good way to pray. Starting at verse 16 and on where he, he says... You know, I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his Holy Spirit. The first one would be for inner Holy Spirit strength, for inner Holy Spirit strength. That's a prayer request that Paul's praying for these people. Now, why would he need to pray for these believers? When we started this series several weeks ago, we learned that the Ephesian believers had gotten saved out of some of the most dramatic events that you'll see in the New Testament. Acts chapter 19 is one of the most powerful chapters, I think, um, in, in the book of Acts and possibly the, the New Testament. These, these believers had been part of this great evangelistic effort. They'd seen probably the biggest ones to, to date in the Roman Empire. They'd seen what the Bible calls extraordinary miracles, as if ordinary miracles weren't enough, right? They, they had seen dramatic conversions. They'd, they'd witnessed, you know, events in the spirit realm between, between uh, demonic forces. So... You know, they had seen some pretty amazing things from their city. The gospel had launched to all of Asia, the Bible says in Acts 19. So you think, man, these guys had it together. These, this church, this was a happening church. I mean, this church understood the goodness of God. This church understood salvation. This church had it all together. Weren't they strong enough? Why would Paul be praying for inner Holy Spirit strength for them? Well, there's something fantastic about great starts. There's something amazing about mountaintop spiritual experiences, an encouraging sermon or a weekend retreat or a miracle that happens. 
But those are external events. And so many things that they had witnessed were external events. And what we really need is an inner motivation to sustain a relationship with Jesus no matter what we're going through. Let me say that again. What we need is an inner motivation. We need, a, we need the work of the Holy Spirit inside of us so that we sustain a relationship with Jesus for the long haul. No matter what's happening. Paul prayed for an inner strength, the life-giving presence of the Holy Spirit. And he prayed it because it has life-giving results. He carries on in verse 17. He says, then, right, I, I want you to have an inner strength. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. You see, the, the work of, of, the, of the Holy Spirit makes a heart home for Christ. Some of you might be familiar with a little booklet written many years ago by a guy named Robert Munger, My Heart, Christ's Home. And he kind of visualizes the sense of going room to room in the house and learning to give control over of his whole life to Jesus. It, it, you know, the inner work of the Spirit makes a heart home for Christ. It, it's worth asking ourselves questions like this. You know, is Jesus... Christ at home in my heart, or is he just a once a week visitor? Is he Lord over my inner household, or is he just a polite guest? Sometimes I invite him, uh, sometimes I say, uh, do busy today, Jesus. Paul adds this then as he carries on the rest of verse 17. That your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. Now, the Apostle Paul, when he writes, he's famous for mixing metaphors. He says, your roots grow down into God's love. What this, what's translated there by the New Living Translation is your roots grow down deep into, grow down into God's love and keep you strong. Is literally, in love having been rooted and founded. In love having been rooted and founded. Well, that's a mixed metaphor because plants have roots, buildings have foundations. But Paul loves doing this. He, he doesn't care. He, he, he doesn't sort of respect literary rules at all. He just mashes it all together. But what do roots and foundations do? They have the same purpose, right? They hold that, whether it's a plant or whether it's a building, they hold it strong in the midst of a storm. They, they hang on. If the roots aren't good enough, the roots aren't strong enough. If the ground gets washed away, the tree falls over. But you've seen those pictures of you know, palm trees that are bending over in the, in the winds. Why can, how can they do that? Because they've got roots. How does a building withstand a, a flood or a storm? It's, it's got a deep, solid foundation. Well, that's what he's inviting us to do. That's what he's inviting us to experience by the inner strength of the Holy Spirit. That no matter what kind of storm of life comes your way, you're unmoved. You're immovable. You're solid. How are we to be rooted and founded? Well... It says, in love, in God's love, rooted and founded. If good doctrine or active service or extensive knowledge was enough, we could get there on our own effort. We, we could just study harder and then, you know, everything would be fine. But, but Paul's saying that's, that's not where it is. It's, it's rooted and founded in the love of God. Now, if we could get there on our own, we wouldn't need it as a prayer request, right? So that's why Paul's praying this. He's praying it because you and I, I need it. You need it. We need the work of the Holy Spirit to strengthen us in the love of God. Boy, it's, it's easy, relatively easy to be a good person, but loving 
is a whole new level. And I need the work of God in my life to really be able to love. I can be polite, but can I love? I need God's work in my life to do that. And so that's why he prays for the work of the Holy Spirit to strengthen us in love. Inner Holy Spirit strength makes a heart home for Christ. Rooted in love. I've got a question. How could your life change if you had inner Holy Spirit strength? How could your life change if you had inner Holy Spirit strength? Paul has another prayer request. Carries on. Verse 18. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep His love is. Now that's some interesting geometry. Um, because I don't know if you can envision, kind of visualize this three-dimensional perspective. How wide, right? How long, how high, and... How deep? Paul's drawing something of a cube or a globe, but it's not, it's not that we're on the edge of the Pacific Ocean. Wow, look how vast that is. That's like God's love. It's just all out there. Right? It's, it's not like standing on the edge of the, the Grand Canyon. Wow, look how deep it is. That's like God's love. Paul's saying, you're in the middle of it. How wide? How long? How high and how deep. God's placed you right at the center of it. Right in the middle. I love that picture. I love that picture. That's a perspective you only get when you are drowning in that ocean. Right? So, that's the picture I think he wants the that immeasurably vast love of God and completely immersed in it. How could a better grasp, a better understanding of God's love change your life? So, Holy, Holy Spirit, inner strength by the Holy Spirit, an understanding, a, a sort of a visual of the love of God. And then one more. He continues his prayer request. Verse 19, may you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. This is the third one. For an experience of God's love, of Christ's love. An experience of Christ's love. And by the way, it's a kind of a cool aside that, uh, here that you know, Paul interchanges the love of God and the love of Christ. They're one and the same. He understands that God the Father and Jesus the Son are one. It's no problem for him to speak of the love of God and the love of Jesus interchangeably knowing they're the same thing. Now, the word experience here is literally to know, to, to be intimately familiar with something, to, to really know it. So Paul's second prayer request was to understand, right, the vastness of God's love. But this one is much further. This one is to be personally familiar with his love, even though, as Paul says, it's too, it's, it's ununderstandable. It's too great to fully understand. It's sort of like the difference between memorizing a restaurant's menu. If you were to go to a restaurant and like learn that menu, you fully understand. If you had that menu memorized, maybe you were a waiter one time and you knew the menu front to back, you understand the menu. But if you had never eaten any of the food, you would not have experienced that menu. There's a difference between understanding, and that's important too. But how do you, how do you experience it? How do you taste that? Say, I'm going to have the club sandwich today. Right? 
You've experienced it. That's what Paul says. Look, I, I don't want you just to understand it. I want you to understand it, but I want more than that for you. I want you to know it. I want you to experience it. Though it's too much to ever fully, to fully know. So why, why is this important though? Why would Paul pray this request? Again, it's because love will motivate you like nothing else. Think of a guy in love. All right? And the length, some of you remember this. Hopefully it's still true for you, married men. Um, right? But when, you, when you're first dating and then engaged, man, you would you'd drive all day and night to see her for ten minutes. Right? You'd spend money you couldn't afford to spend. You'd you would just you would do crazy stuff, right? You'd stay up late, you'd get up early. You would sit through a chick movie. <sighs> That's commitment. <laughs> right? You would eat food that she loves and you can't stand and you'd say, Oh, it's really good. I, I like sushi now, right? That's love. And all you single ladies, if you're with a guy and he's not all that, you can move along and find someone better. Right? That's love. And the person, you know, the believer who personally knows God's love is motivated. They give generously. They, they serve selflessly. You know, we're, we gladly give. Like I said before, we gladly give to what we love and what we value. Sometimes it's the cable company or a favorite restaurant. We give a lot more to them than maybe we even do to the Lord's work. But the sacrifices don't even feel like sacrifices. But rather a privilege. As uncomfortable and as difficult as they may be. I, uh, for example, I watched one of the families in our church take on a challenging task this week. That, that was costly. No one expected them to do or asked them to do. But I watched as the love of Christ motivated, to do, motivated them to do. What few others would. And I think it's because the love of Christ Jesus is real to them. And I don't think we'll even take the Great Commission seriously. That great command of Jesus to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. I don't think we'll take that seriously until we've known the empowering love of Christ within us. I'm not sure that we even could if we wanted to. And there's a, there's a great promise attached to this prayer request. Because he says, carries on, verse 19, Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Or filled with the fullness of God, is how it is, literally. You know, I've met people who take on some of the most intense and uncomfortable assignments from God. Uh, locally and on the mission field. Some places where I've, I've just seen amazing things. And those who do so from love rather than obligation are the most joyful people you've ever met. They live with a lot less than I do. I, I remember I was 19, 20, 21 years old, something like that. I'd spent three months in England as an intern you know, with a missionary group there. And I met this young family that um, were just serving the Lord and, and just the most enjoyable family ever to be with. And uh, that mission had a policy that their missionaries were never allowed to ask for money. They had to live on faith only. And I said, how do you... How do you live? Like, how do you buy stuff? And they said, well, we just trust the Lord and he provides. Like, what does that mean? How do you, how do, you do that? 
And they were just cheerful people. And the love of Christ was motivating. There was no sense of obligation in their lives. It was a pretty amazing thing. And uh, even in spite of living maybe with less and smaller homes and more difficult circumstances, they rise above all of that. Why? Because they've encountered the love of Jesus and it motivates them and fills them with God's fullness. It's just a remarkable thing. So, how could the intimate experience of God's love in your own heart change your life? I mean, think about the opportunities that may have come your way or my way this week. If I was motivated and filled with the love of Christ, are there ways I would have responded differently? Are there ways that I would have given differently? Are there things I would have spoken differently? How would the love of Christ in, deep in my heart motivate me differently in my world, my day-to-day life? And then finally, Paul concludes this section of Ephesus with a, a benediction, verses 20 and 21. Uh, it's a statement of praise to God. Paul has spoken of our identity in Christ. He's unpacked some pretty heavy theology through the, through the book about Jews and Gentiles and bringing us all together and saving us by faith and not by works. And then the rest of this letter is going to be very, a really practical outworking of how this goes. Personal application of truths. But first, Paul's benediction here basically is going to say that in light of all God has done, God can do much more. God can do much more. Commentators in the Apostle Paul like to point out that he occasionally made up words. There are a few words in the New Testament that don't exist anywhere else in ancient Greek literature because Paul, well, he liked to make up words. It's pretty cool. And, and one of the ways he did that, which he does here, he just adds the word, the Greek word, huper, or, or where we get our word hyper or uber in German from, right? He does it here in front of this word abundantly. So it's translated in English as infinitely more or exceeding abundant. Paul's saying it's super abundant. It's super abundant. Now, all glory to God, verse 20, who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more, super abundantly more than we might ask or think. It's as though Paul's grasping for some way to express his enthusiasm. He's just like, beyond what you can even imagine to ask of God, God can do even more than that. In English, today the colloquial would be, you know, beyond your wildest dreams. That's what God is able to do. And it's hard for us, I think, because even some of our most unselfish prayers seem to go unanswered. God, would you, not for my sake, God, would you just please bring the rain? That's a very unselfish prayer. Come on, Lord. So you think, man, maybe Paul's kind of losing his mind here. He's just kind of overstating the fact he's going a little crazy. And he makes it sound as though what we would call the supernatural should be the natural for Christians. He says, you know, verse 20. Now, all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen infinitely more. God is able to accomplish infinitely more by the power at work within us. Can that be? I, I think maybe sometimes we're really missing it. We're, we're living very much in the natural and we are invited to live in the supernatural. Back in 2009, uh, National Public Radio received a large contribution from the estate of a man named Richard Leroy Walters. And you've never heard of Richard Leroy Walters because he wasn't famous He wasn't a politician. He wasn't the CEO of a Fortune 500 company. 
NPR's Robert Siegel was very curious about this anonymous kind of unknown person and this large contribution. He did some research and he learned that Mr. Walters was a former Marine and a retired engineer. He was a lifelong bachelor and he had no immediate relatives. And so it left money to a number of charities from his four million dollar estate. It's a rather benign story with one strange twist. Mr. Walters was homeless. Once he retired, he apparently rid himself of the comforts he could obviously afford, living instead on the street until his death in 2007 at the age of 76. Imagine that wealth, right? Living with four times what most people sort of fantasize about. Well, if only I had a million dollars. Well, he had four of those. And yet living a beggar's life by choice. And I can't help but wonder if we're doing the same thing spiritually. I don't know about you, but there are moments that I'm aware that that we or that I live far, far below what's available to us in God's immense, mighty power. Paul says, through his mighty power at work within us, or as the NIV puts it, according to his mighty power that's at work within us. God is able to do immeasurably more, super abundantly more than what we could ask or imagine. You see, I don't know what God will do. I just don't know what God will do. And you know what? I'm okay with that because I know that He can do anything. He can do infinitely more than I can ask or imagine. And that's why I'm not afraid to ask even for the impossible. Because it doesn't mean it will happen. But as Paul wrote, all glory to God who is able. And the key there is he is able. But God is the one who gets the glory. It's God to be glorified. And then finally in verse 21, all glory to him, to the God of superabundance, to to God be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus for all time and beyond. The church is at the heart, friends. The church is at the heart of God's work in the world. Here at Bethany, we are we're asking God to reawaken us to the reality that the church is, is not something we do out of a good habit or something that we do when there's no sports or vacations. It's not even for our own comfort or our own good feelings. The church is here to glorify God. We're here to glorify God. You and I are the church. This building is not the church. This building is just a house where the church gathers. And as we understand and experience the amazing love of God and His immeasurable power at work within us, I believe we're going to find it increasingly compelling to be remarkably generous and loving not only to each other, but to the community around us. With all the growing pains associated with that, with all the mistakes and blunders that we'll make at times, and it's okay. Paul says, I pray, verse 16, that from his glorious, unlimited resources, he will empower you. You can't use it up. It's not going to run out or run dry. These are unlimited resources. We're just going to sing the refrain from that last song we sang, Amazing Love. How can it be? I'm just going to invite you to consider for a moment. Some of these questions I've asked. What would it look like if God's power was at work with you? What would it look like if the Holy Spirit 
had inner strength in you? What would it look like if you had an understanding and an experience of God's love in your life? How would that change and impact the relationships around you? How would it affect the way you communicate with others? How would it, how would it affect how you spend your time and your money? How would it change your attitude when you go to work tomorrow morning? What would that look like in your life? And if that's your desire, maybe you want to just join in with Paul and the prayer request he had for the Ephesians that you'd pray those for yourself. Let's bow our heads together. God, I thank you that you have unlimited resources. There's no end to what you have and what you can do. And Lord, I, I confess I'm more often than not scared to even ask. And I just say today, I'm... I'm looking to you to fill us, to empower us, to change us. Lord, where we've blown it, to forgive us and give us a fresh start. Because I know you can do that. I know it's your desire to fill us to full measure with your super abundant love and your Holy Spirit power. And church, as your heads are bowed in this moment and eyes are closed, I do want to give you that opportunity. If you're someone who's not given your life to Christ before, you, you've resisted, you held back, or maybe you've been seeking and you just never even really considered this before, but you're saying, I want to give my life to Jesus. I, I want to know the experience of God's power in my life. I want to be forgiven and follow Jesus. If that's you today, you're saying, I want to, I want to become a follower of Jesus Christ. Would you lift your hand up and we'll pray with you after the service? Anybody like that today? All right. Well, church, you know I'm going to keep making that opportunity. And as God does that work in your own heart, you're going to start finding that there are people in your life. You want them to hear the message. You're going to share it yourself, but you're also going to say, come meet my friends at church. Come hear a good news message of the God who saves and fills us with his love. In Jesus' name.